Hey, listener, Zach Harper here. Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Also, fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. Here's how it works. The Pick'em Game. Pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. How big, you ask? I'm so glad you asked that question, listener. You can win up to 100 times your money in a single night. Pick between two and five players. Build a pick'em entry. You can also do rivals picks. You can put like Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Brunson against each other. And whoever has more points, more assists, more rebounds, whatever you want to do, that is your rivals pick. I would maybe go with Jalen Brunson in these playoffs. By the way, in the regular season, Jalen Brunson scoring tear, going higher on his point totals all the time. Joel Embiid, whenever he did actually play, higher on his scoring totals all the time. Victor Wembanyama for the next 15, 20 years. Here's a pro tip for you. Take higher on the blocks. That's right. So you're probably wondering, how do you sign up? Oh my God, listener, you are full of good questions today. Sign up with the promo code DING, that's D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick First time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. $250, man, that's a lot. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store. And don't forget to register with our code DING, D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick and first time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. Must be 18 or older, 21 or older in Massachusetts, Arizona, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Arizona, 1-800-NEXT-STEP. That's 1-800-639-8783. Or text next step. To five three three four two New York, call the twenty four seven Hope Line at one eight seven seven eight Hope and Y or text Hope and Y four six seven three six nine. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, dogs and rats, churin and babies, to the latest edition of The Woke Bros. I'm Big Waz, your host. Along with me on this journey, as always, is Michael Jamal Abdul Shabazz Brooks, straight out of Brooklyn, New York. Rob Lopez is on the ones and twos. Thank you guys for joining us. I know you guys missed us last week, but there were some medical concerns. There were all kinds of scheduling issues and so we're sorry for that but we're back this week with another dope ass show before we get into stronger than ever yeah man stronger than ever i will i will say that man and i I didn't even go to the gym today uh before we get into that (laughs) before we get into sorry before we get into the happenings on this show which you know we're gonna talk about the i guess online fallout of a meaningless, harmless interaction between Beyonce Knowles 
and the owner, the the wife of the owner of the Golden State Warriors last night during game three of the NBA Finals. Gonna tap into Kyle Lowry getting pushed for no reason by a VC, bro, while he's at work, just basically doing his job. Talk about the arrogance, the ignorance, the entitlement of VC culture out in the Bay Area, and I guess America at large. Vox had a walkout. You know, their their employees are unionizing. They're asking for basically more stuff from Vox, and they had a walkout, which I just think is fascinating as an entity, as an entity, a business entity that claims to be sort of left and liberal. We're gonna get into that. And, you know, I just want to have a little commentary on what I've seen is media hypocrisy and how Rich Paul, the, the, the lifelong friend and agent of LeBron James, the main agent at Clutch Sports, uh, we're just going to tap into that a little something. But, man, make sure you guys get your tickets to Chicago, the TMBS live show edition. Mike, tell us a little bit about the Chicago show. Well, let me tell you this. Both Brooklyn and L.A. were packed. We had an incredible time. The Chicago live show, we might have one guest to announce soon, which I'll let you know about. Right now, so far, it's mainly going to be us on this one. We also have uh, Gene Bajlan, who's one of our crew, is going to be coming out with us. Uh, But this one, we wanted to have one show that just, like, was basically the team. Um, and we wanted to hit Chicago with that. So it's one of these things. The show is until August 24th. We're already about a third sold out. So again, they're going very fast. You know what it is. We get, we play games up there. Some of us get a little lit. It's an incredible time. And then people buy all the VIP tickets. We look forward to meeting you out front and connecting with everybody in the community. So go grab your tickets fast. Michael Brooks show live tavern hall. Chicago, August 24th. Excited for that. Rob, man, I want to tell you a little something about this new product called Molecule. Molecule is a complete reinvention of the air purifier, not just an improvement on existing, outdated technology. It was developed by a scientist whose son suffered from asthma. My mom actually suffers from asthma, and my cousin Pat used to. I don't know. He might still be on that inhaler. What up, Pat? And who was frustrated by the fact HEPA air purifiers did not relieve his son's symptoms. As a result, Dr. Yogi Goswami spent 20 years developing a completely new, totally effective way of removing indoor air pollutants. Why Molecule? Global air pollution is worsening at an ever-increasing rate. More than 80% of people living in urban areas that monitor air pollution are exposed to air quality that fails to meet the WHO recommendations. Worst news is that indoor air can be up to five times worse than outdoor air, according to the EPA. And most of us spend around 90% of our time indoors. Molecule makes a meaningful impact for asthma and allergy sufferers. In a study of 49 allergy sufferers presented at the American College of Asthma, Allergy, and Immunology, Molecule's technology provided dramatic, statistically significant, sustained system reduction within a week of use. The results have transformed lifelong allergy and asthma sufferers' lives. One customer even said she was able to breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years. 
MoQ's technology has been personally effective and verified by science, but most importantly, it's been tested by real people. MoQ has already helped allergy and asthma sufferers around the country better cope with their conditions and significantly reduce their symptoms. Listeners of Bomb can get up to $75 off their first order. All they have to do is visit M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com. That's MoQ.com. At checkout, enter B-O-M and you'll get $75 off your first order. That's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com. And at checkout, enter B-O-M for bomb to get $75 off your first order. All right, let's, uh, let's move to it. All right, Mike. So this is one of those online stories that... I think it. I think it's important because it kind of gets to the culture that we have right now online, whether it be outrage culture, whether it be cancel culture, whether it be, and this is the epitome of quote unquote social justice warrior, which I know that's been co opted by the people on the far far hard right, um, to just disparage people anytime they try to stick up for, um, a disadvantaged, disenfranchised group. But this is the definition of social justice warrioring. And to set it up for people who don't spend as much time on Twitter as I do, which I spend a lot, I, I know it's sad to say. Um, <laughs> but, you. but 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 I'm I'm watching the game last night, and of course I'm doing the second screen thing and and you know, checking in on my timeline every now and again. And this brief, basically six to seven second interaction between Jay-Z, his wife. Beyonce and the wife of Joe Laco. Um, damn, I'm I'm forgetting this lady's name. Her last name is uh Nicole Nicole Current. Sorry, I I didn't mean to just you know refer to her as Joe Laco's wife. Rob, Rob, produce. <laughs> no, Nicole Current is the lady's name, but it was a very brief interaction in which she was talking to Jay-Z and she sort of leaned in and I guess she was kind of in Beyonce's personal space, whatever. Beyonce just does the regular face like, all right, I know this is going to be a quick little interaction. Then we could get back to watching the Toronto Raptors dismantled the Golden State Warriors. But, you know, yeah, that's neither here nor there. We don't, we don't talk sports on the show. But we the, we the, talk enough to say, damn, that was brutal. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Wow. But, yeah, the reaction online from Beyonce fans and, you know, just – a certain segment of, I guess, for lack of a better term, black feminist Twitter, were just outraged. It was like this idea that, oh, she's talking to Beyonce's man and this, this, that, and the third, and she need to get canceled and blah, 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 blah. That's why it's so hard for us to do this, this, that, and the third, blah, 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 blah. And it's just this weird confluence of a need to be pissed off about something online constantly. You know, the problem we have in this society with celebrity culture, right? Um, just cele- not celebrity culture, celebrity worship. The culture around how people conduct themselves as fans around celebrities, particularly online and on live spaces, and just like a ridiculous rush to judgment, right? It comes out later. Ramona Shelburne of ESPN reports that. This is not some random lady, random fan of Jay-Z and Beyonce just talking to them and crowding their space. This lady was hosting them. She's the wife of the – she's Joe Lacob's wife. She was getting their drink order. She had already gotten Beyonce's order, um, and it's been reported that she just wanted water. And Jay-Z said, let me get a vodka soda, and they moved on. But it was just the, the reaction and, of course – 
people went to her, descended upon her social media, started, you know, harassing this lady, sending death threats, this, this, that, and the third. And I just think it's fascinating in 2019 how we congregate in these online spaces and how we choose to behave. It's like, you don't know these people. You have no idea what the interaction was about. Like, we have so many things to actually be pissed off about out there in the world. And it's like, Beyonce don't need your saving. Like, the funny thing is, and I tweeted about this, Mike, was people were like, oh, Beyonce felt the way that she was talking to Jay-Z. It's like, we get it. You love Beyonce. You think she's a superhuman superhero. But at the same time, you're basically ascribing an astronomical level of insecurity to Beyonce that a woman can't just talk to Jay-Z. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Beyonce can't be this superhero and be this extremely insecure person who just the mere, you know, conversation that somebody might have with her husband, somebody of the opposite sex might have her husband, would drive her up a wall. It's this weird, like, paternalistic, maternalistic, you know, jump to conclusion about this woman and just like just nasty behavior. I just thought it was just so instructive and indicative of how people behave online, man, particularly around the topics that involve celebrity. Yeah. I mean, everything you said, hundred percent, I think that in general, it's just, I don't know. I mean, obviously, there's a huge amount of time that people have on their hands generally. And there's been this, you know, again, look, on a positive end, obviously, you can use social media to, you know, challenge people with your ideas um, and, you know, correct the record on important areas of policy. But again, there is just this sort of like, confusion of just sort of like habitual emotional toxicity with politics and with change. And, you know, I don't know, it just, it just seems like, yeah, there's just a, a, a you know, and then, and then also the incentives to have snap reactions to everything. Like we talked about something that was obviously a lot more serious in the Jesse Smollett case, which was like, you know, you know, obviously, if that was true, that was a major national story. And of course, there is an increase of hate crimes across the country. Uh, but then, you know, at the same time, if you tapped into it for a second, you would have said uh, that really makes, you know, very little sense um, in terms of like the stories telling just on a basic logistical level. But there's this need to rush out and have an opinion. And I do think that's another kind of interesting. I mean, yeah, there is always that contradiction of, you know, is somebody being put up on a pedestal as a god or goddess or are they, you know, the most, you know, fragile thing ever that, you know, the other this woman who would think I think what was happening was she was I think she was asking them what they both wanted to drink. She didn't yeah. hear what Jay-Z said, which makes sense. If you've heard Jay-Z talk, he's not <laughs> right. a super loud speaker. <laughs> and she was leaning in to get Jay-Z's drink order um, after she heard what Beyonce wanted. And, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of how, like, you know, the people who were, you know, again, not just like a normal person who might choose to vote for Hillary Clinton, but like 
the really, really nutty Stanish Hillary fans who were looking for every reason to like, you know, smear and lie yes. about Bernie. And it was like, on one hand, you know, there's all the memes of like, here's Hillary. She's in the jet. She's got the sunglasses. She's dropping bombs. She's taking care of business, all of this. And then the next second it was like, oh my God, he debated her. How could you do that? What a monster. And yeah. I remember even me, like in the heat of it, I was like, look, you know, no one supports Bernie Sanders more than me, but my God, I don't, I certainly don't think of Hillary Clinton as some type of like sheltered child who can't be spoken to. Why are you talking about her like, like she's some type of like woodland creature or something. That's fucking weird. They're having a debate. They're two adult human beings at a very high level debating. So, you know, there always is that like weird contradiction too. And of course there's already the, the other side of this where I don't want to be like HuffPost and all of them who throw up, you know, a pity party for this lady because she had to turn off her Instagram comments, right? Or maybe delete the Instagram altogether. Like, that sucks, but who cares, right? Like, she didn't, like, nothing terrible actually happened to this woman. It's whack that people acted like children online and were really obnoxious and stupid. But, like, I don't need to throw a pity party for this lady. I just think this, this, I just think this stuff is, the reason why I want to talk about it is instructive is because, you can't talk to normal people about real live conversations when you're this hysterical about everything. Yep. It's just hard Absolutely. to yep. have any sort of level of reason. And again, not to say the other side is overly reasonable, but I just think the people on our side do us no favor when they treat something this meaningless with this level of fervor. Right. It's just like, guys, that's why they think we're delusional and don't want to hear completely normal and rational opinion about very important things. Because it's like liberals just want to take the feigning couch over any and everything. And I get it. Right. I get it. It's been years of, you know, let's just say it was this other thing. And this white lady who was a complete stranger was, you know, infringing upon Beyonce's personal space and b bothering them at a game that they were just trying to enjoy and they didn't need to be bothered. Um, of course, we've seen years of this, of, of, of white people exercising their privilege over black people. We get it. That's like something that actually happened. But <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not happening every t at every turn. And it certainly happened at a way lesser frequency. And it's not to say that Beyonce and Jay-Z don't face bullshit because they're black. But these things are happening at a way lower frequency because they are two extremely filthy rich people than they are the, the average Joe or average Sarah, right? Um not to say yeah, that I mean, of course, it no, couldn't but... happen to them, but it's like, guys, at the end of the day, we're talking about freaking Beyonce and Jay-Z, guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you don't have class and race, uh, class and, you know, and wealth at the center of your analysis, you're not doing, uh, you know, any type of real analysis, obviously. Yes. Not at the exclusion of all these other important factors. And I, yeah, and I think, I mean, obviously, yeah, that's true. It provides this huge opening for all of these fascists and idiots on the other side when, when people, you know, are ridiculous like that. And also the other thing too, is I just even think like, you know, this is part of the nature of like the innate difficulty with a platform like Twitter, right? Where you're, you know, I don't know, retweeting like a highlight from the game 
or an interesting article on whatever, and then maybe highlighting an incredibly important, profound injustice or an interesting idea and solution or, you know, making fun of somebody. But I think at the same time, like part of the answer right there is you have to calibrate. Like when I'm tweeting to make fun of some fucking right wing asshole, I mean, that there's a purpose to that because, you you know, you got to uh, hurt those people's brands. But I'm joking. I'm having fun. Uh, if I'm talking about, you know, uh, an issue like healthcare, I have a different tone. And one yeah. of the incredible things about like that sort of like stereotypical SJW Twitter tone is it's like, not only sometimes obviously is it just wrong or ridiculous or just like a bad take. It's also like the same, it's like, wait a second, you know, one tweet, you're talking about a police murdering somebody or the prison industrial complex. And then the next tweet, all of a sudden, wait, we're talking about, you know, you know, I don't, you know, Beyonce and uh, at a basketball game with the same tone, you know, it's like no calibre. Yeah, exactly. And so, and I think though that, you know, and you see that across the board with Twitter, like even in just like, you know, really minor shit, like when someone like, you know, you look at even people like when they complain to companies about like customer service and it's like, fuck you, Cheesecake Factory. It's like, <laughs> like you would never act this way in public unless you were like somebody who needed like immediate mental attention. And secondly, like, stop, like, yeah. You shouldn't, you're not supposed to act like that. Like stop yeah. yelling at Cheesecake Factory. Stop fucking yelling. And when you yell, like yell about, you know, actual shit. Yeah. And I just thought it was important to talk about this because, you know, if anybody's listening to this and you ever find yourself wanting to be outraged about something in celebrity culture, just don't. Um, nobody actually cares about right. your angry tweet. Um, in, in, in actuality, they're laughing at you and think that you're ridiculous. So um, that would just be my advice to you going forward. was a busy ass game. Kyle Lowry goes into the stands. He's doing one of the hustle plays that you're taught, basically taught to do from the inception of, you know, little league basketball. And some dude reaches a seat and a half across from him and shoves him really hard on the shoulder. When Lowry tried to dive for the ball, goes in and goes crashing into the fan. There you see the guy, ah, there's that in the, the well, blue got, shirt pushed he, him off. He got run into 100 miles and of course Lowry gets up and he showed an incredible level of restraint he's you know he's in the middle of an NBA finals game the pinnacle of his sport his chosen profession he's put in countless hours to make himself into the kind of player that was good enough to make contributions in this game um and, you know, some fan, what we think initially is a fan, goes out of his way and pushes him. And Lowry does the perfect thing. He gets up. He finds the security official. He says, that guy put his hands on me. 
and they get up, get him up out of here. Then, of course, Mike, <laughs> it's found out that this guy is not just some regular fan. This guy is, in fact, schmuck. no, he's not just some Joe Schmo, some schmuck. He's a part owner, a minority owner of the team. His name is Mark Stevens. He's a VC guy over there in the Bay Area. And so that makes this even worse. He he's not a good look for the ownership group that they have, and 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 I know Joe like those guys are great guys. The, the ownership that they have, that I know, they're they're unbelievable guys. But a, a guy like that showing his true class, and um, he shouldn't be a part of our league. It's just no place for that. This guy is ostensibly management. He's team management. And he's sitting front row at an NBA basketball game, and he thinks it's okay for him to physically assault one of the players, right? One of the principles of this money-making machine operation. This dude thinks he has the right, the entitlement, the audacity to put his hands on a player. Luckily for us, luckily for everybody involved, the NBA reacted swiftly. Um, I think they got some pressure from players. Kyle Lowry, after the game, went on SportsCenter SVP. He said he th- he felt like the guy should be banned for life. There Absolutely. was no place in the game for that. LeBron right. James, this morning, he tweeted. Um, he he posted. He went. He took to his Instagram. Um, he hasn't really um commented on any of the happenings in the NBA playoffs this offseason. And this was his first, you know, public statement about anything playoff related. He took to his Instagram and said, "Look, if Kyle Lowry had put his hands on an owner." Of an NBA team, like, could we even imagine (laughs) the level of scrutiny and scorn that would be coming his way if he put his hands on a little white man sitting courtside or a fan sitting courtside? Um, You know, and and he spoke out and said there should be some swift, harsh action taken. It's come out. The NBA has fined Mark Stevens $500,000, excuse me. Um, and he's been banned from all NBA arenas for the next year. Uh, I, I'm, I personally am extremely happy with this result. And um, I got to commend Adam Silver and everybody at the commissioner's office, at the league offices for doing this swiftly and actually sending a message that this won't be tolerated. I think it's like so funny to me that like, and I, I'm just saying for context, that his net worth is $2.3 billion. So I remember like, you know, years ago when Ortiz got into that fist fight with the fan and, you know, it was really different because it was a fan, not an oligarch or an owner, but it was the same principle. It's just like the dude threw a fucking beer at him. He threw a beer at him. Like, what do you, what do you, I mean, that's and it's funny because it's like this thing of like look yes if you're in certain positions you get a higher level of scrutiny but also like you're still dealing with human beings and number one human beings are just going to make mistakes period and number two human beings are also not going to have like a saint-like response so at all times to just pure disrespect and he and in that case the thing i will say is i was actually incredibly impressed that that fan took that punch and was able to get back and throw one himself. That was fucking amazing. I was like, wow, that's a a resilient little bastard there. But in this case, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I was 100% pro or test, let him go, no punishment at the time. And then as far as the fan went, I would, you know, 
throw him a fine, ban him from some games. But even because he's a fan, I might say, you know, maybe if you're on perfect behavior, you come back again. As an owner, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. You're gone. You're not even part of it. Like you don't even have it's bullshit and it's not true, but you don't even have that like, hey, you know, I'm a working guy. I came here to see the game. I'm getting right. Me. You can't do that either, but it's different than not only, I mean, when you think about the extent of entitlement that he has to shove a player like that, it's not just his ownership and his wealth. It's the delusion. It's like, I, I, I swear to you, when he shoved him a part of his like capitalist lunatic brain was like, well, I own part of the team. So in a sense, right. I'm really one of the players and, you know, the players, sometimes they get rough with each other. So yeah, like get the fuck out of here, Lowry. Like, oh, I'm going to shove you. Like just the delusion and the entitlement of it and the reminder that the ridiculous way we talk about these players, these players are workers. So that's number one. They might be privileged workers, but they are workers. They're represented by a union. They're exploited by an ownership class. No question. And yep. also they're fucking human beings. I mean, I was amazed. Like in our test, I don't blame him at all for punching the guy. And in this case, Lowry, I was like, wow, that was a pretty patient response. He waited yep. like a gentleman to go on television and say, hey, you know that belligerent asshole who shoved me when I went into the stands doing my job? He just shouldn't come to games anymore. He didn't say, like, I'd like an address of that guy's VC fund or wherever he works, and I'd like to come up in the middle during a conference call and get a free shot. And, the, man, and I'm so happy you brought up the art testing because – and Bomani Jones, a friend of the program, he talks about this very often. The night that the incident happened – the way it was framed on ESPN and different media outlets was this fan was completely out of line and out of control for what he did when he threw that beer, right? David Stern and whoever over there at the league offices got the message out to their partners in the media and said, no, we are not going to frame this as fans acting bad. We're not about to blame our fans for this ugly incident. And then you started seeing the coverage that came out afterwards, and you saw it in the completely heavy-handed and over-the-top suspensions that were meted out and fines that were meted out that they decided they were going to frame this as the players were acting in the wrong in this whole melee. I think that that plays a part in the culture around fandom around how people comport themselves at the, at games because they've been sucked up to for decades. Is this idea that the fan is this noble, just, you know, can never do anything wrong. This just great person, nothing like the fan, nothing like the <laughs> idiot who shows up to Duke games painted in all blue, like nothing, <laughs> there's nothing better than the fan. So I think, the way that fans have been coddled within the culture lends to this entitlement. They feel like it's their right to behave badly. And it's hard for me not to notice that most NBA fans are white and male. And so when they behave badly, there's always some kind of freaking excuse for it. It's hard for me not to notice that. 
Um, so I think that's played a part in it. And I see, and I noticed that we're starting to scale it back when the dude in Utah told Russell Westbrook to get on his knees like he used to and all of that. The NBA, the Utah jazz came out and basically was like, this dude is done. He's never coming to a game again. That sent a message, but that only came after a bunch of players publicly players on the Utah jazz who weren't even on the same team as Westbrook came out and supported Westbrook and his reaction to what that fan did. So I think there's just been a, a disgusting toxic culture around fandom in sports, just generally just an idea that like these dudes are zoo animals and we get to act however the hell we want when we come to this game, because I bought a ticket or I'm, you know, privileged enough to be a billionaire and I could buy a, a minority stake in a team um, I'm glad I'm glad the league came out culturally. This sends a message to the ownership class to not even just the ownership class, but to even your most premium customer who are those people who spend thousands of dollars on courtside seats every season. Um, this type of stuff won't be tolerated. We have respect for our players. Um, we have respect for their safety and you're not just going to publicly disrespect them and physically assault them. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that completely. Um, it was a really important signal and, you know, yeah, hundred percent. I would have knocked that fine up to a million and yeah, uh, that would have been nice. Only, just, to the the M, just to see that yeah, M, just to see that M. M. <laughs> that would have been a nice. Flourish. And, on, and guess M. what? And guess what? This guy is worth two point three billion dollars. Um, oh, so make that ten million. <laughs> And, you know, people, some people say, well, this is a drop in a bucket for him, blah, blah, blah. It matters because his ego is bruised today. Um, the Golden State Warriors are opening a brand new spanking, shiny new arena next season. He will not be able to attend games at the inaugural season of the Chase Center. I'm so happy this this happened the way it did. media have walked out as part of an ongoing fight to unionize that workplace. There's also been this going on at BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed is another, um, you know, trendy new media or not even really trendy actually at this point, but new media property uh, that, you know, likes to give off a lot of kind of like positive glowy vibes, but has fought and resisted workers protecting themselves and having good benefits by forming a union every single step of the way. And it's gotten to the point where employees at Vox have actually stepped out. And I want to just quote briefly from the Vox Media Union Twitter account. Today is our last scheduled day of bargaining. At Vox Media Inc. is still apart from us on competitive wage scales, strong guaranteed raises, better severance subcontracting work. And we were decided that we're not showing up to work until uh, – work today until we resolve these issues. Um, this is incredibly important. It's incredibly brave and necessary. So, you know, all workers that take this step, they're doing that for themselves and everybody else who, you know, has a job. Um, you know, I think 
the thing is, is that we have to remind ourselves that Vox not only is a website that uh, performs well, has gotten a lot of capital behind it, it's expanded. There's film, there's television production, there's Netflix shows. Um, there's a lot going on. Um, and definitely people and veterans in the television and film industries are backing the Vox union strongly because that's still a sector um, that still actually has, you know, strong union protections for people so that they're, uh, you know, in a better position. And, you know, I think it doesn't really surprise me. I know, look, some people, um, I have a friend who writes for Vox. I use Vox for certain things, um, you know, on a research basis, uh, for some of the shows I do, but I do think that, you know, at the end of the day, Vox is definitely coming out of, you know, the kind of corporate centrist, neoliberal quant nerd tradition. And, you know, this is, you know, Ezra Klein. Yes, he's done some good things. But Ezra Klein also was a guy who, you know, years ago was writing dumb articles like, oh, you know, Paul Ryan, I don't agree with him, but he's got some serious ideas. And, you know, it's like that kind of bullshit. Like, oh, you mean like serious ideas to like you know, sell old ladies into indentured servitude and the Coke to the Coke brothers. You know, there's a lot of people and institutions, I think particularly like Vox that were, you know, they came up the kind of Obama generation that, you know, wasn't about big solutions, wasn't about really dealing at least on a market level with, you know, just literally resources and power. So it's all this little kind of like tinkering around the edges and nerdy little plans. And, you know, we can be progressive and we could still get all this Wall Street money and, you know, partner with these companies. And, you know, this is such a great example of the rubber meeting the road, which is like, this is a modern workplace. You're employing hundreds of people. And in order for those people to have, uh, you know, safety and decent life and for things to at least be somewhat distributed fairly, you need to have a union. So, you know, and anything else is bullshit. So I have nothing but solidarity and respect. Yeah, I just want to say, first and foremost, full disclosure, obviously, as a member of the media, also as a former um, Teamster union member, um, I have my biases and I, I completely and utterly support these guys, right? Like I'm somebody who's of the belief that there should be a union for everything, <laughs> for every profession, whatever job you're in, you should have the protections of a union, right? The workers should band together and use their numbers to, you know, be able to exert, exert some sort of power in their lives, right? Um, in the in the thing that keeps them employed, keeps them fed, keeps a roof over their head. So of course, I support what the Vox, what the Vox media people are trying to do. Um, and yeah, secondarily, like these people are allegedly ostensibly progressives, right? And in a t that's what they would purport themselves to be. I think Vox's brand is not sure. It's probably center left, but yeah, in no way left. would those people say that they are right leaning a right-leaning entity. And in a time where unions are, you know, being broken up and dis disbanded, disbanded, dismantled all over the country, like union, union membership is at an all-time low by percentage in America. Um, you know, for this, for this company to be taking part in basically a union busting type of situation is kind of disgraceful to me. Right. Um, and if, if to me, you should be putting your money where your mouth is 
as a left-leaning organization and not be telling people that they shouldn't be unionizing. And, you know, when people come to you with demands, yeah, people want competitive, fair wages. Like, people want to be paid for their work, right? People want to have dignity in whatever work that they're doing. And part of having dignity is fair compensation, man. I don't think, I don't know, I don't purport to know what the exact demands are that, uh, you know, the writers are striking for, but at the same time, like, you know, they deserve a seat at the table when it comes to how they get paid and what their working conditions will be going forward. Uh, yeah, yeah, that makes total sense to me and, uh, all solidarity, all support to them. Um, was there anything else we were going to hit before we jump guys? Uh, just a quick aside. I, I, you know, I spent a couple of days on this, not a couple of days, just a couple of hours on this on Twitter. I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before. Um, just about, cause we do a little bit of media criticism on this podcast, but it's just about Rich Paul, who is the agent and longtime friend of LeBron James. He represents a myriad of other NBA guys from John Wall to Eric Bledsoe to Tristan Thompson uh, to Ben Simmons. He, he, he has a he has a nice stable of clients at this point. Right. Um, just for a little backstory, how he got into the game. You know, one of the conditions for LeBron joining CAA, CAA and um, for, for representation, he said, you have to take on my friend, Rich Paul, in an apprenticeship program because I want him to one day be an agent to empower himself, right? Mind you, the, the agent class is another one of those things where it's an influential class of people um, in a sport that's predominantly, overwhelmingly black, but most of the people aren't. Most of the people are white dudes, right? Most agents are white dudes. Traditionally, that's always been the case. Um, LeBron, you know, he made it a priority that he would bring Rich Paul in and, you know, basically make him an agent. Like, it's not like these dudes have special powers that nobody can learn how to properly agent, right? Uh, and eventually, Rich Paul struck out on his own and he opened his own agency and he ended up getting his own clients. LeBron, of course, signed on with that agency, whatever. But for basically from the start of when Rich Paul and Clutch Agency started, there's been a certain level of pushback, resentment. Whenever they did something that ran counter to what team officials wanted or they got clients that agents felt like they poached or whatever, basically whenever they did their freaking jobs for their clients – and, you know, it rubbed certain people who weren't their clients the wrong way. I noticed that people in the media had no problem carrying water for those, you know, anti-clutch sentiments, right? Um, and the reason why I find this problematic, Mike, is because the things that they've done are not out of line or not out of step with what agents have done traditionally for their clients going back decades, requesting trades, um, you know, uh, using other clients as leverage to get more money for, you know, their more pri prominent cl um, clients. Uh, just, you know, playing hardball with team officials, like just standard things that all agents have done traditionally throughout the years in the NBA specifically. You see media members, NBA media members having no problem carrying water for anti-clutch thoughts to the point where I watched a clip on Fox Sports 
And uh, I forget this lady, Jen something. She gets up there and like, I love him. I've covered him since he was 19 years old. Okay. He and his family are practically like family to me. I have been shocked at the behavior the past year that we've seen out of Anthony Davis. Mm -hmm. It has not been him. And, and it's not just me saying that. His teammates say that, too. He's always been such a great community citizen. He and his he family seems like have a done a good kid. He's yeah. a great He's kid. a great kid. His entourage has always been his family. He's never right. gotten involved with the distractions you see with so many other players. And from the time he hired Rich Paul, you could see a marked change in his behavior. Uh -huh. Wearing a That's All Folks t-shirt to the last all. game. Mm -hmm. That's not Anthony. He's okay. a class act. His family's a class act. And it really burned bridges in New Orleans. New Orleans is an incredibly loyal city. Mm -hmm. uh, they will stick with you till the very end. And, and, and well, the end it, is over, Jen. Yeah, it, it torched it down. And as Shannon referenced, AD's mind was made up. And I think that was Rich Paul making up his mind. So I don't think AD's going she, through this. I knew Anthony Davis. He was a nice man. He didn't. He never did the NBA entourage thing. But as soon as he signed with Clutch, his whole demeanor changed. He start act, He was used to be a class act. He's not. Once Rich <laughs> Paul got a hold of him, blah, 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 blah. Oh it's like, the one, it's infantilizing Anthony Davis as if he can't make it. Like, as if he couldn't have come to the conclusion that he no longer... To, he no longer wanted to be a New Orleans Pelican, right? As if he couldn't come to that conclusion on his own. He no longer wanted to work in the most apathetic NBA market that there is. That, that town, is really true. They don't yeah, care about there. They man. just care about the Saints there. They love football. Yeah, and they love so. LSU. And we get it. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's a completely apathetic fan base. Um, an ownership group that straight up, this team is just an afterthought. They also own the New Orleans Saints. They've treated this team as an afterthought, as a side hobby, as a side project. He knows, he talks to players around the league. He knows what the standards are at some of the more excellent franchises and he wants to be out of there this idea that he could only be convinced by the boogeyman rich paul it's just laughable you know and just this idea that or the idea that he didn't you know come to the conclusion he wanted to leave and he said this guy is the best at getting something like this done you know and so i hired him you know a lot of people especially just me just the messages oh rich paul got to ride on the plane because he's lebron's friend I'm sorry, LeBron James is probably the, the best or the second best NBA player in the history of the world. Um, I, that affords you certain privileges. Yeah, your friend might get to ride the team plane because you're <laughs> LeBron freaking James. I'm right. sorry. Like, that happens all the time in all kinds of industries. Exceptional people get treated like they are the exception. And right. to watch people in the media just carry water for rival agents saying, well, they don't let us ride on the team plane. How come Clutch gets to ride? It's just bullshit. And I'm, I'm sorry, they don't do this when the white agents play hardball. They didn't do this when DeAndre Jordan, um, he had this like flip-flopping situation. He agreed in principle to sign to the Dallas Mavericks, then ended up changing his mind. It played out. It played out on the internet, on Twitter. It was this whole circus. Nobody, like every time DeAndre Jordan's name was mentioned and, you know, God bless the dead, Dan Fagan passed in a brutal car accident a few years back, but nobody knew that dude's name. Yes, the diehards knew who Dan Fagan were. They knew he had a special relationship with Mark Cuban and Mavericks owner, but nobody would say his name in conjunction with the DeAndre Jordan situation every single time it came up. When Paul George told Indiana, I no longer want to be on this team. When my contract is up, um, I'm going to sign somewhere else, period, with two years left on his deal. Basically, essentially the exact same thing that Anthony Davis is doing. Nobody brought up his agent's name. And I can come up with countless examples of players 
playing hardball with their team, with management, and people just say, okay, player X is going through this thing with their team and move on. They never say, wow, that agent must be some kind of puppet master to be making this player do this. But with Rich Paul, whenever something involving his clients happen, they bring up Rich Paul. And they've built him up into this big boogeyman. And I'm sorry, they did the same thing with um, Dennis Robertson, the, the uncle of Kawhi Leonard, after he axed out of San Antonio. And it's hard for me not to notice the common denominators that these two dudes are black and they're, influence, they're influential in these players' lives. Yeah, I mean, it's obvious. We know what it is. That's that's not even, you know, that hard to, to put together. It's right in front of our face. And, I, you know... I'll just add to everything you said because I don't have much to add to it. But it's just funny to me. Every time I see bitching like that, that – and, you know, whatever. This isn't real life and this is already way dated cultural reference. But the beloved, beloved show of many NBA fans and certainly many bros and many, you know – a pop culture phenomenon that in some ways would have overlap, certainly with people that would be in an NBA audience, but entourage, right? That old HBO show, I guess it's not even that old, but old enough is built on the central premise of the movie star from Queens. Best friend is also his right. up and coming <laughs> manager, right. not agent, I guess, because the other guy's his agent, but it's his manager. Right. And there's so much actually even built around like the assholes in Hollywood who don't get that. No, this guy actually really is going to be good at this. Like, of course, he makes mistakes, but he's a bulldog for his client. He's smart, whatever. And so it's another example, too, to me. And obviously, there aren't the racial dynamics in that. And that's probably the main part of this as far as I can see. But there's also just that like what we valorize in pop culture, then all of a sudden it becomes real, which is like the obvious thing, which is that if you have a friend and somebody you trust and then you realize this friend and somebody I trust also has talent uh, and capability in an area that's really important for me in my livelihood, uh, yeah, you're going to want to work with them. By the way, and another thing – this idea, and people said, well, some people just resent Rich Paul because they feel like he got his hookup because of LeBron. I'm sorry. That's how this fucking country Everybody works. Everybody got to a hookup because of somebody. What does that even mean? Like, just, just to a hookup because of somebody. What the <laughs> fuck does that mean? It's, it's like, that's how things go. But guess what? The, the concept of your network working for you usually tended to be reserved for the privileged. The privileged class, right. of course, it's like, oh, I know I know somebody at CAA. I can get you in there and get you to be an agent one day. Yes, that was usually reserved for people who don't look like LeBron James. This idea that now that LeBron and his homies are doing it, um, it's this huge problem. And you saw it. Like, people legitimately were laughing at them when they started their own marketing company, when they started their own media company. When he said he's signing as an agent with his best one of his best friends, Rich Paul, when they opened Clutch, people was like, that's not going to work. And now look, Rich Paul, the proof is in the pudding. He has gotten amazing contracts for many of his clients, which to me shows that's his job. Well, <laughs> in addition, and in addition to that, then what do they do when people don't set up businesses like that? Right. Which is like, oh, you know, like, what are you? Um, 
you know, look at all of these athletes and rappers and musicians and whoever else, but that's primarily who they talk about. Let's be honest. Oh, they squandered their fortunes. They just bought cars, whatever. But just the idea specifically that you're, that you're hitting. I mean, that is just wild. It's like, you know, if you're, if your friend's dad recruited you poolside to CAA, you think that that's more like what, and unless you, unless you want to just stake a position that it's like, no, the only way should it just be that you're randomly walking down the street and the CEO of CAA is like, you know what? You, you have the look of a super agent. Let yeah. me hire you. I mean, that's in fact, one of the obvious reasons that we need to have way more wealth distribution and justice in this society is because that is in fact how things happen. But just the idea, you know, if there's one person who can step forward who said, you know what? And and by the way, this can't go back to the 60s or 70s, okay? Sometime in the last 40 years, but even in the 60s or 70s, I guess if you want to say that you had no income, no special privileges, you went to a, you know college, but it wasn't even in your alumni network, you just wrote a resume, sent it to a top agency and got hired. I guess if you want to grumble about uh, him knowing LeBron, okay. Besides that, shut the fuck up and go compete against him and see what you can get for your client. Exactly. Um, I'm just, you know, that that thing kind of bothered me, and I'm, and that's not to um single out Baxter Holmes, right? Because he wrote the big Laker expose, and he did whatever he was talking about. What rival agents were saying about Rich Rich Paul's level of access level of influence within the Laker organization since LeBron got there. That's not to assail him because he's not the only one who's done it. That lady did it on Fox. Like anytime um, throughout the entire Anthony Davis saga, all that came up was clutch sports, this rich Paul, that blah, blah, blah. I can't believe they're doing this. I can't believe they're trying to muscle people, blah, 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 blah. That's all you heard throughout the saga. And so, you know, it just perturbed me. And I thought it was important to talk about it in this space today because it speaks to a lot of the things that we talk about, but that we speak about that just goes on culturally. It's these little subtle things that obviously the writer that's giving voice to it or the agent who's bitching about it isn't like, all right, man, he's not wearing a clan robe when he does it right it's not it's not like this guy's just some vicious and nasty racist so that's why he's doing that it just speaks to the culture of what we're used to and who we're used to seeing exact influence and power um and who makes makes us feel a little bit uneasy to see do those very same things so you know i just thought we could touch on that um that's all we got for today's show Of course, don't forget to get your tickets to the TMBS show live and direct. August 24th, Mike? August 24th. Rob, um, I'm about to hit you with a link. They'll be in the show notes. Live and direct in Chicago, Illinois, man. Great city. Had an amazing time when we went there for the Count the Ding show. Um, Of course, make sure you're, you're subscribed to The Athletic, checking out all our podcasts that we're doing over there. Uh, subscribe, rate this episode, tell a friend to tell a friend. We need all of that. I'm um, signing off. We out. Oh.